Today, it's all about light painting with Nikon Ambassador and Light and Motion Ambassador Cliff Mountner on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and I've got a great show lined up for you today. Before I get into my guest, a couple of quick reminders for you. If you would like to see the show notes for today's show, or for that matter, uh, some extra work, a small gallery of my guest work, you can head over to the website. It's BehindTheShot.tv. When you are there, on the right-hand side, you'll see a bunch of links. Those are opportunities for you to subscribe to the podcast. You can get the, the Behind the Shot podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's available in two forms, audio only or Video, that is assuming that the app that you use supports video. For example, Apple Podcasts does support video podcasts. If the app that you're using does not support video, keep in mind the podcast is also available on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, please head down, click the subscribe button, click the like button, all of that type stuff so that you're notified each and every time I do something new. For example, the the image critique shows I do with Don Komarechka. One other thing I want to remind you about is we've got the Wanderers Photo Experience Workshop happening in New Orleans. And here's, here's the best way to think about this. Think about going to a destination city and experiencing the environment, the city, the food, and the music through a photographic workshop. It's multiple genres. It's four different instructors. I'm doing music. We've got Freddie Clark doing food, Andrew Scrivani doing food, New York Times contributor, and then Ant Pruitt doing the street stuff. If you want more information about it, all you got to do is head to that website, which is wanderersphoto.com, and uh, make sure you look through everything. One thing I want to say, because when you look at the price, some people say, wow, it's expensive. It's pretty much all-inclusive, hotel, food, transportation during the workshop. So read all the details. You can find all of that there. And that brings me to my guest today, who to say I'm excited to have this guy on is a huge understatement. I DJed weddings for 18 years, and this guy is one of the best wedding photographers on the planet, Philadelphia wedding and uh, portrait photographer, Cliff Mountner. How are you? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you on Nikon Ambassador. I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Light and Motion Ambassador. And th- I want to start with the Nikon thing because I've had a couple of Nikon Ambassadors on. We were talking in the green room. Deborah Sandage has been on the show. Awesome. Moose Peterson's been on the show. But when you when you meet people and they find out you're a Nikon Ambassador, how do you explain that program to them? You know, um, the Ambassador program really is meant to educate inspire. Uh, sure, we are brand ambassadors. We do promote the brand with our work. Um, but it goes deeper than that. The whole Nikon experience, really, it's family. So the ambassadors truly are family. We believe in the products. Uh, I've been a Nikon shooter since 1978 when my dad bought me an FE. Um, ever since I turned professional back in 1983, uh, I've had, I'd like to say I have Nikon hands and Nikkor eyes, if you will. Uh, so, you know, normally when, when I don't even mention I'm a Nikon ambassador, someone asks me about it, um, you know, it's, it's a tremendous honor. It is a, the biggest honor of my career to represent this brand, and it continues to be. And, and there are some amazing Nikon ambassadors. It's been said about Nikon ambassadors that it is some of the world's most talented and influential visual artists that are working in the business today. We're talking Joe McNally. I mentioned Deborah Sandage. I mentioned Moose Peterson, Matthew Jordan Smith, uh, somebody in my genre, which is Tata Young, one of the, the great music photographers working today. You're also a light and motion ambassador. And mm-hmm. 
again, talking in the green room, you're using light and motion lights in this video right now. So yeah. we're talking with, with light and motion ambassadors. I, I went and looked at the list because I was not familiar with some of the people that were light and motion ambassadors. Matthew Jordan Smith again, Bruce Dorn, yes. Sarah France, and my friend Christy Sutton Elias uh, is a light and motion ambassador. So tell me about how that came about. Well, let's not forget Mark Edward Harris, who you should have on the show. That guy, Dude, he make the is one of the people. I will. Uh, he's a remarkable photojournalist, and uh, you know he's the real deal. He, he is he is all walk and very little talk. He's really phenomenal. Um, you know, it came about quite frankly. My friend Dina Douglas, who's an ambassador as well, a few years ago at WPPI. Uh, the Nikon booth was right across from, I'll just call it the Stella booth. Stella is the actual product Light and Motion makes. And she's flashing around this light, and I, I'm just, it's extraordinarily bright and powerful and lightweight. And I'm just, Dina, what the bleep is that? And uh, I got it in my hands, and I spoke to uh, Heidi, Heidi Hall, who used to work for Light and Motion, and uh, she sent me one. Uh, Different iterations of this product have been in my bag ever since. And it is the, besides my cameras and lenses, it's the product that I utilize the most in my camera bed. So I think the first time I saw the product was also at WPPI. I think they were maybe even new at the time and they had a booth announcing it, but I could be wrong. But, uh, Interesting that you're, again, your your light even right now looks really good. So we mentioned WPPI. At the time we're recording this, we are roughly a week and a half away from WPPI 2021. Mm -hmm. And I am going. I'm going to cover it like I usually do, or at least that is my plan. Yeah. I'm curious based on everything that's happening with the pandemic and, and the Delta variant and stuff like that, how many people are still going to go or bail out. But I'm I'm planning on going. One of the things I noticed about you is you were the WPPI photographer of the year, Nikon WPPI photographer of the year. You've been the, you've received, I should say, the Lifetime Achievement Award from WPPI. You're a two-time WPPI Grand Award winner for photojournalism. I want to touch on the photojournalism thing as we go sure. through today, too. And Please. American Photo Magazine called you one of the top 10 wedding photographers. These are not minor accolades that you've got. Oh, and I almost forgot one. International uh, Photographic Council of Leadership, you got the medal at the UN, uh, which... That was a cool day. Yeah, International Photographic Council. It's an, it's an NGA. It, it's, it's a, it was a wonderful honor. Um, I think Jack Resnicki did, fun. got that too. Jack probably did. Jack's phenomenal. Yeah. Friend of mine. You mentioned a lot of friends. Uh, you know, um, that's probably the best part of being involved in an organization like WPPI, um, the people I've got to meet uh, with Nikon. You mentioned Joe McNally, who I consider a mentor. Everybody considers him a mentor, frankly. And we stated before, just uh, in your quote, green room, uh, he's a litmus test for all photographers, yeah. all speakers, all educators. I mean, he is, you know, there's only one. Um, you know, uh, I'm interested to see uh, who goes. Um, I have decided not to go this year. Uh, I've been going every year since 2004. Uh, I hope that it's successful. I hope it comes back 
super strong in 2022. Uh, this organization is also like a family to me. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping for nothing but the best and safety for these people. Um, you know, you know, I, the first time I went to WPPI, first time I went to WPPI, a, a wedding photographer, friend of mine and regular viewers of the show will know Troy Miller, um, good friend of mine, great wedding photographer. And, and he said, oh, you got to go to this. I'm like, you know, dude, I'm a live music photographer. I have really honestly no interest in, in, in that. And I went and what I found was it's one of the places I've been to where the networking side of it, the social side of it is so natural. It's not even, it's not even arranged. It's just suddenly you magically find out everybody's meeting at the whiskey bar at Mandalay Bay. And then mm -hmm. everybody shows up there. It's, it, I, I love that. L looking at, so I researched you because this is the first time that we've met. And you, Howard Stern. I mean, come on. What, what's no, going on no, here? would He's never even claim. He is the best though. But I'm looking back and you mentioned 1983 earlier. Is there anything photographically? I mean, technology has come so far, right? I'm a Canon shooter. I just upgraded to the R5 and R6. You're a Nikon shooter. They've got the, the, the Z series or Z series. Mm -hmm. Yep. But still in that sense, looking back at 1983, is there anything you miss about the industry, the tech from back then that you wish still existed? You know, um, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Uh, the other day I was doing another, another interview and I was asked, and, and not to, I, I want to answer your question, but I'm going to answer it this way. That's fine. I was, I was asked, what are the most challenging elements of a nearly 40-year career? And what obstacles Breathing? have you faced? <laughs> <laughs> Besides, you know, mothers of brides and all that nonsense. Um, I was a photojournalist for 17 years, 15 with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, and then I went into the wedding world, commercial world, and, you know, corporate clients and all that. But the obstacles. I was a film shooter up until the, I guess, the early 2000s. Uh, in the late 90s, websites came into effect. We, we, the, the, the web became a very prominent marketing feature. I was behind. I had to learn that curve. When the digital products came around, I had to learn that curve. That was tremendously challenging. And then after that, we had social media. That was a bomb going off in my life. That was challenging. Mirrorless cameras allowing every Tom, Dick, and Harry to pick up a mirrorless camera and allowing them to almost seamlessly obtain a proper exposure and obtain focus with no clue on how light actually works, no clue about direction of light, no clue about composition. So you have these incredibly um, major, these are major obstacles, major uh, things in my life that I've had to overcome. And... Um, but by the same token, the equipment that we have today has never been better. It's made everybody else better, but it's also made me better. I can't, to answer your question, go back to 1983 and say, I wish I was still using that. Uh, I will say that uh, uh, using film, um, being a craftsman, understanding how to utilize a, a film camera, there was a certain art to it. There was a certain... Um, 
you know, mastery of the craft that you had to have just to, to use film, uh, I'd probably be a lot wealthier if digital never happened because there are only a handful of people that could actually shoot film today. Um, but I have no, I can't really look back. That's See, really my answer to your question. That, I love that, what I have today. No, I was just going to say though, that what you just said about film though, is kind of what was in my head when I, I thought about this question in that there is a, uh, the word craftsman is probably the wrong word here, but I'm going to use it anyway. Go ahead. There is a craftsman skill set, right? A journeyman skill set that's required to, you know, to understand your reciprocals, to understand your exposure triangle without thought when people were doing film. And it's an instinct. It's 10,000 hours. It's, t- it's the 10,000 hours. It's Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. Yes. Ex- exactly, exactly. And that's the only thing I think of. Now, I never grew up with film. Had I known cameras were geeky and techie years ago, I wouldn't have gotten into it late in life. I would have gotten into it younger. But that's kind of what I had in mind. But when I, when I was doing this research on you and something you just said, I keep seeing two words, anticipate and react. Yes. Anticipate and react. I've seen that. I kid you not five or six different places, which makes me think of the photojournalism background. And yet again, I DJed weddings for 18 years. And when I just DJing a wedding, anticipate and react. So I'm curious in your, in your merging world of those two, how does that differ between your photojournalism background and weddings? When I went from photojournalism into weddings, okay, um, it was a more difficult transition than what people believed that it would be. And I'll tell you why. And I've explained this, uh, uh, you know, in a few different interviews, but this is, this is how I look at it. Um, when I went from photojournalism into weddings, I, I knew how to capture moments. I knew how, as you say, I knew how to anticipate and react. But what I didn't know how to do is flatter a woman, how to make a woman look beautiful, how to be a portrait artist. I knew nothing about light. The only thing I knew about light back then was taking an index card, putting it on the back of a 283, which is a a flash. So uh, I really didn't know what I didn't know. You want to know what's funny? I didn't know it. I can completely picture an index card now taped to the back of a flash. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, when I went into this world, I became a much more well-rounded photographer, not just a photojournalist. So that's why I laugh when I hear, oh, yes, I'm a wedding photojournalist. I don't use that word. I'm a photographer. So uh, I'm not afraid of portraits. I'm not afraid of a studio. I'm not afraid of you know any type of work. Photojournalism prepared me for so many facets of the world of photography, but photojournalism is only one facet of the world of photography. That's right. It makes total sense. So yep. let, let's talk about this photo really quick. Sure. Because as you and I were going back and forth and, and those that don't know the process, it's not just, hey, let's do that photo, right? We kind of, I look at the website and we go through pools of photos. Mm-hmm. And Cliff was like, this is, this is the shot we should talk about. And this shot, the lighting in this shot is insane. There is a, I'm trying to think the the phrasing I want to use here because it's going to matter. There is a three-dimensional, and when I say three-dimensional, I don't mean just a visual three-dimensional. It feels like I can walk behind them, which 
ain't easy in a two-dimensional medium. So for those out there that are, because some people that are just starting like to hear EXIF data, even though you'll never recreate the shot with the EXIF data, but still just from a technical point of view, mm -hmm. manual exposure, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the EXIF data said auto white balance. Would that be correct for you? Do you normally shoot correct. auto and correct in post? Yeah, with my cameras, yeah. it's The Nikon auto white balance usually is is right there. Okay. Very little adjustment afterwards needed. Yeah. 24 millimeters. I think you said it was a 24 to... It was a 24 to 72 8, yes. Okay. This was on an 850, I believe it was. Nikon yes. D850. Mm -hmm. F7.1. I'm going to touch on mm -hmm. that in a minute. And then ISO yeah. 200. So the shutter speed... It's 30 yep. seconds. This is a light yep. painted image. Yes. Okay. So I have so many questions because I have <laughs> never, ever done this okay. Bef before. So I, I always describe this because some of the audience listens in their car and hopefully they're not watching it in their car because that would like be insane. But if you're listening in your car, I'm going to try and describe this shot for you. And then I've got questions on the 30 seconds and the 7.1 in this. Okay. So first of all, for those of you on audio, it's a nighttime wedding photo. As far as I know, <clears throat> it's nighttime. It's Bright and as groom. dark as it can possibly be. Okay, so this was like pitch dark. Yes, has to be. Interesting. Okay. Nighttime wedding photo, bride and groom in front of a lake. Now, the bride and groom are on the left third of the image. Mm -hmm. The back of the lake, this is where this gets crazy. I'm, I'm doing stuff I was going to cover under composition, but I got to say it now. The, the back of the lake, which from our perspective is the top of the lake, is the top rule of third. The shore that's right behind the bride and groom is the bottom lower third. Bride and groom are on mm -hmm. the left third. Mm -hmm. They're inside. They're facing the camera at 45 degrees each, meaning the bride is at 45 degrees facing camera right. The groom is at 45 degrees facing camera left. Their inside shoulders are touching. Their heads are tilted in to touch her head, she's slightly shorter, so her head is almost like under his cheek. It's this beautiful bride and groom moment. The, there are clouds. You can see the nighttime sky in the background. You can see city lights lighting up behind the trees. The groom is in a dark suit, bride in a beautiful dress. They are lit in such a way that I said the bride's on the left. They're, they're both on the left-hand side of the frame rule of thirds, right? The bride facing right and her round train is on the ground with the light fall off on that train is part of what I think makes the shot. The fact that she almost fades into this nighttime, into this, this uh, uh, kind of moody romantic scene. There are pink hues in the dress. And in fact, there are pink hues in his tie. But I think the dress is white. Am I correct? Is uh, it's it's pretty white, off okay. white maybe. Yeah. And here's here's where it gets beautiful. With this beautiful light, there are just kisses of light around the shot. They're on the bride's uh, leg. They're on the bride's shoulder in their face. They're on the trees, lightly in the back. There's actually one that's visible dead center in the frame, but it, up top on the back shore of the lake, which helps then light across the water. All of that creating this amazing 3D type field. Description wise, did I miss anything? 
No, you, you really didn't. But the, the, <laughs> the one thing I'm going to say, uh, and, and I do have to mention it, um, I had no clue. I'm just going to say. I'm sorry, what? I had no clue what I was doing. So, um, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. So, so let, let me, let me just, uh, you, well, hold on. Give, you're saying then, this is your version of luck. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. When well, I explain it, you'll, you'll, when I explain it, you'll be like, holy crap. Yeah. It okay. Was, go. It was luck, pure and simple. So first of all, I have to give credit where credit's due because the person who inspires me is an expert light painter and you know him. His name is Dave Black. Okay. Dave Black is, in my opinion, one of the world's best light painters. Um, he's also one of the world's best photographers. One of the, he may be the very best photographer that I know. I, I, I'm dead serious. This man is... He's a legend. He is a legend. And he's a craftsman. He's an artist. There's so many things I could say about Dave. But I call him friend. And... Um, I sat in on a couple of light painting classes at Photoshop World, watching him do this, and I was mesmerized by his skill. Um, Dave knows what he is doing. I only looked to see what Dave was doing. Steve, I kid you not when I tell you um, this was my first attempt ever. Uh, I so said the, the, to my it, hold on, yeah. you're killing it's me, a, man. It's a freaking accident. This wasn't just you joking. didn't know what you were doing. This was your first ever light painting. It's my first, yeah. My oh first. my god, yeah, I'm man. Not kidding. Yeah. So, um, and uh, so the, you know the story goes, which is true. I'm telling my assistant I want to try a light painting because it was a a beautiful wedding. Um, Melissa and Sean. Uh, Missy and Sean had this wedding at this beautiful farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And, you know, huge barn and lake wedding and, and just, it was a beautiful farm estate. And things were slowing down a little bit in the evening. I had another half hour to kill and I just didn't feel like just shooting more dancing and dancing and dancing. I said, screw it. Let's try a light painting. And I said, would you guys like to come out and try something? I looked around for a while. And one of the things you need is pitch darkness, Steve. You need absolute darkness. And uh, by this uh, side of the lake, it was pitch darkness. Now, the light that you see across the river, there is one, only one. There's an uplight hitting the trees. Okay. Uh, and I knew that was going to allow, uh, to give me a little bit of separation. That's oh, so that, that is not a flash. Light. That was, it, no, that was a there landscape is no flash, architectural by the way, feature. There is no flash in this image whatsoever. Zero. Okay. okay. So the, uh, you had mentioned before, uh, the fact that they are sort of 45 degrees or heads, heads are together. I needed them to be together in that way, in that realm so that there could be stability in their pose. Okay. So I brought them out. I put them there. I had the camera on a tripod, a 28, I'm sorry, 24 to 70 millimeter lens, D850. And so I had a vision of what I wanted it to look like, but truth be told, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. So I just figured 30 seconds might work. Okay. Why though? Well, let's, let's stop there. What made you go 30 seconds? Because I needed time to paint. So okay? that was just, you thought, it'll take me this long to run around. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. That's kind of how it went. I got to hang uh, out with you more. 
that was that was sort of because uh, again, all I'm doing, I have again, I'm just trying to copy Dave. Just do what Dave did. You know, uh, what, the, what would Dave do? You know, what would Jesus do? Well, that's Dave. Okay. And so, um, you know, I had them stable. Okay. And um, my assistant was there uh, kind of watching me incredulously, like there's no way he's going to make this work. And he was probably right. So I had them stable. I draped the... Uh, put the veil on the ground that way and so on and so forth. It was really dark, by the way. So I had to use my Stella's just to see what we were doing, where we were walking. We're using phone lights and everything else. Once we got everything situated, camera on the tripod, um, I said, okay, you guys ready? Great. I go ahead and I used the timer, okay? Shutter opened. There are little pen lights, little teeny pen lights, right? Little styluses. That's what I used, by the way, for their faces and their bodies. I literally, as soon as the shutter opened, I went up to them closely and I'm just painting them with the stylus, okay? Around and around and hitting a little bit of the gown and hitting his suit. That's why you don't see a whole lot of light on the uh, train down below. See, but that okay? was a choice of yours though, to not oh, yeah. shine as much light there. And the fact that that train, I kid you not, the fact that that train gradients off to shadow. It's deliberate. Yeah. That, that's that's deliberate. what, that's what assembles them, meaning the bride and groom. That's what merges them to the environment is that oh, touching yeah, point. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's the, 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 the most brightly lit part of the image needs to be right, right. given attention to, and it's their faces. How did you know how much light to put on them though? I didn't. I'm just, I had no idea. I love it. I love it. It's the first time I, I, I you know, so Why? I'm running around, I do this. So the, the, the way the, the image um, evolved, basically um, I'm, pretty much running around like a chicken with a head. So I get this, I'm doing that, and I hit their face for a couple of seconds. And then I had, at the time, a Stella 5000. Okay, it was 5000 lumen light with a Fresnel on the front, which does make it, it gives me a little more reach. And I'm doing this with the Stella. I'm going around and around to the, to the water, to the trees in the background, giving it, you know, five or six or seven seconds like that. Okay? And I knew I wanted to add motion to the gown. So what I did, I went back and I covered up the lens and I defocused the lens to throw it completely out of focus. All right. And then I used the pen light on the lower part of the gown just for a minute. And you see that it's out of focus. That's where you get that again, stolen from Dave black. Oh, but okay? that's brilliant. Because I watched man. him do it. Well, he, he's brilliant. Okay. And then, all right. Uh, I said, okay, that's good. And I, I keep the lens covered. I hear the click and I look at it. I go back and I hit the chimp button and I look at it. I'm like, it was terrible. It didn't work at all. It was brutal. So I did it again. All right. I said, sorry guys. Uh, actually I didn't say sorry guys. You know, when I said, that, that's pretty good. I think I can do better. It was freaking terrible. So the, the faces were overexposed. I knew that I needed a little bit less light. Uh, there wasn't enough light on the left 
rear, the, le the left portion of the water or the trees. I knew I needed a little bit more time there. Everything else looked pretty good. So I went ahead and I did it again and I nailed it, this one, on the second frame. I did a third frame. Not even close. It was worse than the first. Do you know, can, looking back, can you, first one's understandable. It was your first try. Second one worked. You do the yep. third one. Looking yep. back now, can you pinpoint what went wrong? Yeah, I can. Um, lack of experience, number one. Um, lack of know-how. Um, and I think I spent a little bit too much time with the stylist because her face was a little hotter than his and it just didn't work. So what made you choose seven one? Was that that you just knew you wanted seven one in a finished photo anyway, or were you I thinking to yourself you wanted safety in case something went wrong? Safety in case they, uh, so that I wanted them sharp. So I, you know, I wanted as much leeway as possible. Uh, and I figured seven one would also allow me uh, the opportunity to have the shutter open for 30 seconds. If it was 2.8, I would only really, you know, what would right. I have the shutter open? You know, do the math. So it would be a considerably less uh, less amount of time. And I needed that time to run around like a chicken without a head, lighting things. Wow. Just, wow. Okay. So now that we know the lighting end of it, I want to talk about the composition because in looking at your portfolio, one of the things that I, I at least me, I see in your portfolio and that I think is is uh, one of your strong suits, I'll say, but a lot of people, I think it's just, they don't, they've done, it's the 10,000 hours, they've done it so many times, they do it, mm -hmm. it's mindlessness, as we say in martial arts, it's- I'm out it, of focus, there we go. Yeah, there we go. It's, it, you know, it's one of those things that it's just, I do it, but you know, I don't, I don't really think about it anymore, but the fact that the bride and groom are on the left rule of third, but also you position the camera in such a way that they're not intersecting the lit tree, they're intersecting darkness, so head in a clean spot. The front mm -hmm. edge of the lake is the bottom lower third. The back edge of the lake is about the top rule of third. And the upper torsos are on a golden triangle. So I pulled up a golden triangle on this shot and, you know, you can rotate the the overlay in, in Lightroom, for example, and it lines up almost any way you do it here. It's balanced by the light in the back. The, tri the triangle actually even matches. She has a bend in her front leg, her right leg, camera left. The golden triangle even lines up to her leg. So I think I'm going to know what the answer is here, but I have to ask. Does any of that cross your mind as you're doing this, or is it just so ingrained in you now that you just land on golden triangles, for God's sake? Well, uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I don't know what a golden triangle is. Okay. Uh, I, and so um, my composition and the way I shoot and the way I see light and all of these things, um, it's a product of... Uh, probably some really crappy parenting on my parents' part in driving their kids insane to be a perfectionist. Um, I don't snap the shutter until I believe everything is in place, almost to spite myself. 
So I won't fire unless I know that the lighting is what I want it to be. The composition is what I want it to be. And everything that you've seen on my site, every image that you've seen of my work, um, there's nothing, uh, I don't know if there's anything on my site or my blog or my Instagram that's cropped. So everything is within the realm of full frame, uh, four by six. And that's just how I see it is. It's wow. just instinctive and it's buried in me. And, and, um, I don't think it's any big deal to be honest. It's just how I am. It's just but, so I you see. see a scene like this yeah. and in your head immediately it's, I mean, what, okay, let me do it this way. You're setting up a scene with a bride and groom. You're posing them. You, mm -hmm. I know you were aware that their heads were left of the lit up tree. I'm guessing well, that also, was... I wouldn't also, uh, I need to point out, I would not allow their heads to merge with the horizon of the tree line. Exactly. So I, these I, are otherwise things... that would intersect and that would drive me crazy. Yes. Uh, so their heads are completely in shadow as opposed to the line of the horizon going through their heads. They're not intersecting the lit tree. Behind them, yes. Yeah, there are, so when you see this, when you when you set up a scene, is there something in your head that says that's harmony? I mean, like, do you look at it and go, everything's in harmony now? Or when do you know? How do you know? Well, the first thing I look for uh, when I'm not doing a light painting is, yeah. is light. Okay. Um, and for me, it's, it's the juxtaposition of highlights and shadows together. And that to me is harmony. The, the, the way highlights and shadows work together uh, creating, and you've seen these words in any interview or story I've ever done, texture, dimension, and mood. Dimension is created by the direction of light. The texture is sometimes created with the juxtaposition of shadows and highlights. Drama is created um, by what's lit and what is not. And one of the things that Dave said one time, which was brilliant, uh, and hit me like a ton of bricks because it's generally how I like to photograph and always have. If you want to make a photograph look interesting, light only part of it. And I thought that was a, a wonderful thing for an educator to express to his students. And Dave is one of also one of the best educators. He's, his ears are going to be burning because I, you know, I, yeah. I do admire him a great deal. Um, so when I'm shooting, I keep those things in mind, but it's not something that I'm conscious of, Steve. I will put a link to, to Dave's site in the show yeah. notes for this as well. I'll add that in there. Absolutely. So when you get this, you, you've got it. The wedding's over. Like most wedding photographers, you've got 9,000 images from a day. You go back, you're and culling God, through images. Many, but yeah. yeah. When you pull these up on the computer, what's your standard workflow today? What are you, what are you using software-wise? I, I, just, I just called the, I called the wedding this morning. Um, generally speaking, I will shoot... Uh, Anywhere from, you know, a normal uh, Caucasian wedding, if you will, um, will be uh, anywhere from 3,300 3, to 5,000 images, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. I do a lot of South Asian weddings. All right. So depending upon how long those are, they can be, you know, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, depending upon how many people, how many hours, how many days. Right, because okay? diff different cultures so it, have different traditions and things along. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, once I do that, my typical workflow is, uh, you know, I download, uh, I back up three different times to um, 
uh, GTEC drives. By the way, I'm also a, a Western Digital Extreme Team member, whatever that might be, which is, I'm very proud of those folks too. They have some great products. So it, I, I go to three different hard drives and they're all externals. And so everything is backed up onto those drives. Once I'm ready to call, I take my RAWs and I put them in Photo Mechanic. Photo Mechanic is the only logical workflow solution for someone who shoots a lot of images. Yep. After I take the, I'll say, selected RAWs, I give them to my studio manager. She refines them, and then she puts them on a gallery. The client sees the gallery, chooses the images on the gallery. We do a pre-design, and that in conjunction with the pre-design, we work together and we design the client the culmination, which is the album. So I'm a photo mechanic user and mm -hmm. most music photographers that I know are. So I have to ask. There's nothing are, better for a lot of, there's nothing better for it's a amazing. lot of images. Nothing. Yeah. Are you uh, a pick or a star or a color person? I'm a star and I edit in. I don't edit out. Okay. Interesting. And and because everybody has a, a preference. Like I know people who they'll go through round one, they'll pick. They'll filter by anything not picked or filter by anything picked, unpick them, and then go through again, narrowing it down. I start with one star, then go to two star, and I go through multiple things. I go and five star. I'm a five star guy. And yeah, then for me, I work my way through. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five stars are portfolios for me. And then anything zero star gets deleted. So you only go to five? I go to five, and then... Um, Might sound self-deprecating, but but it's it's the truth. Um, there very very seldom do I get something that blows me away in my own work. If something does, and I truly love something, I'll hit it with a color. I'll hit it with pink or yellow or something, right? So that I I can go back and choose it for Instagram or something of that sort, or for Nikon, or you know anything. Uh, for a website or anything that might be useful. Okay, yeah. so speed round time. The you idea of this rarely works is I ask a question, whatever comes into your mind first is the answer, okay? Oh man, Prof profanity aside, go for it. Top tip for somebody that is just getting started in photojournalism. <sighs> um, stringing. Uh, find a local newspaper that needs things covered on the cheap because photojournalism right now is, uh, it's hurting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, top tip for somebody just starting in wedding photography. Go get a master's degree in business. Oh, now that's a good tip. Okay. Most common wedding photography mistake that you see. Shooting too many frames and then killing yourself on the back end. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I always tell people I shoot bursts, but I never get near the full frames per second. I'll take three shots at that frames per second, but I don't want 10 shot bursts constantly because I don't want to edit 5,000 pictures. From well, a, but, you from know, there's a, the, the, the way, you know, uh, I'll, I'll bring the word in a photojournalism mentality to this. You hear the term photojournalistic, but 
that's a misnomer. All right. Um, to most people, photojournalistic means candid and candid and photojournalism are not one right. and the same. Photojournalism is about capturing moments. And times there, there are scenarios where you see a moment, grab the moment, work the situation to get the best moment of that moment. There could be 10 or 12 frames out of that scenario and one works. There could be 10 or 12 frames and three or four work. But don't just take a frame, look at the back of the camera, think you've got it, because the likelihood of missing the next frame and having it be the best frame is pretty high. So don't take the camera away from your face after you've made a frame to look at it and you're looking at, oh, I got it. Well, no, you didn't because you probably just missed something better. Exactly. So see it, grab it. The, the, the number one rule of photojournalism, I asked, uh, uh, again, here's another name for you, Larry Price, another mentor of mine, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner. And he, he worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer for three years when I was there and always looked up to him. Today, we're friends. Uh, I asked Larry when I was a kid. Sorry, Larry. I was a kid. Uh, I said, what's, what's the most important thing in photojournalism, you think? He says, get the picture. I said, well, what's next? He says, get a better picture. And that's as simple as that. So don't just be satisfied with the first frame you think is good. That's like I've work, had work the moment. I've had traditional, you know, old school film photographers say, "Oh, chimping is you don't don't chip, just take the pictures." And I've had other people say, "Well, you know, no chimping is okay." And I always say, "No, no, no. It's it, neither one. Chimp when the time is right. If something Listen, is happening in front of you, photograph yeah. it, and then when it's not happening, see if you got it. There's always one time the to things, do that." Yeah. One of the things I would tell my students in my boot camp, you know, there have been photographers that were just old stodgy morons that would say, don't ever chimp. Stop looking at the back of your camera. Well, if you're starting out, the LCD of a camera is a wonderful tool to look at focus, to look at exposure, to look at things. And, you know, you don't want to use it as a crutch, but by all means, go ahead and use it a little bit. Um, just another there's, tool. There's no issues with that. Yes. No, just correct. another tool. It's so tool. what makes you better? What's your favorite composition rule? If there is one. The, my favorite composition rule is that there's no rules. Perfect. Okay. Favorite drink? Uh, water. Favorite singer or band? Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Oh, dude. Good yes. choice. Carnival number nine. Uh, just it, believe me, but the, Greg Lake and Keith Emerson have, have passed in the last few years and uh, – the soundtrack to my childhood is, is, is pretty much gone. However, Steve, you know Carl Palmer, right? Yeah. I worked with him at his camp, and I'm going to get to work with him at his camp in November when he comes back to Philadelphia. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So now I you're got to meet Carl Palmer. You're talking the albums that I burned out growing yep. up. Uh, yep. Who is a – you've already mentioned a couple, and I will put them in yep. the show notes. Yes. But who's a photographer or artist – that you think people may not know about that they should know? Should know. Oh, well, Dave Black, I do think uh, people, people should know. Um, Elliot Erwitt I, 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 is one of my favorite. Deanna what, Arbus. What was the last name on the Elliot? Elliot Erwitt, E-R-W-I-T. Okay. And who was the second one? Diane Arbus, A-R-B-U-S. Okay. I'll These put, are fine art photographers, the uh, street photographers that 
Uh, we're very, very prominent, um, have many books out there. Um, you know, um, Sebastio Salgado is probably my favorite. Uh, the way he uses light, he's a wonderful photojournalist. Okay. Uh, in fact, there is a uh, there's a wonderful documentary on Sebastio Salgado called Salt of the Earth. It's a, it, you should not. Do you know this. where we can get it? Probably Netflix or Amazon without question. Okay. I will put links to as much of that as I can get in yep. the show notes. Yep. So everybody, BehindTheShot.tv if you want to see these notes. And, yes. and for that matter, BehindTheShot.tv if you want to see any links to Cliff. Cliff, where can people, you know, what's, what's your website, your social media, stuff like that? Instagram is probably the most current curated version of my work. And it's just at Cliff Mountner. Uh, my website is cmphotography.com. I don't update that a lot. Um, although, you know, I did a nice little, gave it a little nudge during COVID uh, and did a lot of work on that. Um, so there's, a, there's 1,500 images on my site. Um, Instagram is probably a good way to do it. Also, my boot camp, I would love to be able to do more. I have had, Steve, I've had, it's, it's you know, I didn't do it this year or last year because of COVID, but for 13 years, uh, I did it four to five times a year. I've had a thousand students from 42 countries come here in this studio to learn how to use light. I hope to do more. I just okay. don't know exactly what. And so I've been putting up the URLs as uh, Cliff has been saying these, but again, they're all at BehindTheShot.tv along with links to Light in Motion, yes, uh, please. his Kelby One classes. His mm -hmm. Facebook group, the way group names are in Facebook, it's hard to put in a lower third, but the link to the <laughs> sure. Facebook group is all up there as well. Uh, Cliff Mountner on Instagram, on Twitter, yeah. Cliff Mountner Photography on Facebook. Cliff, thank you so much. I can't say uh, how much I appreciated this conversation. Oh, no, I appreciate your time. This is fun. Uh, and your, uh, your research and, and questions were really terrific. I appreciate the time you took. Oh, believe me, it's my pleasure. And to everybody else, again, just a reminder, BehindTheShot.tv is where you can get all the show notes, all the links, not only to Cliff's stuff. And by the way, there's a small gallery of his work there, too. But again, go look at his Instagram and go look at his, his portfolio. If you want to find me, it's SteveBrazel.com. It's like the country of Brazil, but it's two L's. And of course, you can also find me on social media, either on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Steve Brazel or at BehindTheShotTV. If you're interested in the Wanderers Photo Workshop, that's WanderersPhoto.com. Head over there. It's a pretty much all-inclusive workshop in New Orleans, of all places, and I'm excited because I've never been to New Orleans, and it's multiple genres, multiple days, four instructors. Go check out all the details on that. And last but not least, if you've liked what you've seen today and you're not watching in a podcast app or listening in a podcast app, whichever one you may be doing, the podcast is available, both video and audio only. If you are watching on YouTube, please head down, hit the subscribe button, and, and uh, click the bell so that you know every time we do something new. That's it for this time around. I'm Steve Brazel. Make sure to join us next time as we take a look inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a look behind their shot.